Good morning, church. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Wade, for those prayers. And um, thank you, Jenny, for sharing. Now I can't get God's go-go van out of my head. I just... It rhymes. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I... Yeah, I think that's a wonderful way to um, articulate that. <laughs> anyway, it's good to be with you all this morning. You know, I know that it's wet outside. I came in early this morning and it was wet and it was cold. And so I got my winter gear out again. <laughs> but I learned from Elaine just now that in Hong Kong, you don't, um, you don't put away your summer clothes until you eat um, zhong, right? Oh, your winter clothes, until you eat zhong, uh, which is the rice dumpling. Is that right? Yeah, that's how you okay, say I learned something new today. <laughs> yeah, so we have been working through our Cruciform Live Sermon Series over the past several weeks. It's a series about how the cross changes everything. Last week, Pastor Wade preached on how the cross helps to make sense of violence in the Old Testament. And before that, we learned how the cross is the ultimate revelation of what God is like, that God is no monster, that in fact, crucified on the cross was God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to look at what the cross means for the marketplace, not marketplace by Jason's down the road, but and it's also not, um, it doesn't refer only to the business world. See, in the ancient world, the marketplace, also called Agora, in Greek was an open place of assembly where people gathered to do stuff, to trade, to do commerce, to socialize, to talk about politics and religion and philosophy. The Agora was the center of public life. So for us in Hong Kong, Today, we can think of the public place where all of that happens. So with all the different structures and systems and institutions like the banks, the exchange, the different companies and organizations, the government offices, the legislature, court system, and so on. And just as our personal salvation was made possible by what happened on Calvary, the cross also speaks to the salvation of the marketplace. Can I ask you a question? Has it ever occurred to you that the marketplace needs saving? I love the resounding yes. Um, and, I, and I don't mean the personal salvation of the people in the marketplace, although that is equally important. I'm referring right now to the redemption of the structures and systems of the marketplace. When we say that the cross changes everything, does it mean everything? So it means that nothing should be left untouched by what was accomplished on the cross. So it's something like this. In our personal walk with God, we want to reflect Jesus more and more, right? Because, you know, um, Jesus has taken hold of our lives. But you know what? The marketplace too is supposed to reflect Jesus more and more. 
So this picture here, the cross, and this here, the marketplace. When you put them together, what do you get? You get the cruciform marketplace. And how is this landing for you, this idea of the cruciform marketplace? What do you think that looks like and what could that look like in Hong Kong? You know, the brokenness of the marketplace, like your brokenness, like my brokenness, our individual brokenness, is very complex. Many dimensions to it. And I'm not here to offer simplistic answers to very complex problems. And I'm not capable of doing that either. But I want to get us thinking and pondering about a cruciform marketplace. I want to stir our imagination a little. What do I mean by that? I mean we can start to become curious. Curious about what? For instance, when we see something like this in the news, I'll, take, I'll let you take that in for a moment. So when we see something like this, perhaps we can wonder, how does this sync or not sync with a cruciform marketplace? And when the government decided that it would raise the statutory minimum wage rate from $37.50 per hour from 2019 to $40 per hour come May this year. So this is an increase of $2.50 Hong Kong, US 30 cents. In one of the world's most expensive cities, we can ask, ah, I wonder, does the cross have anything to say about that? And then the MPF. So for a long time, employers can use their employees' MPF to offset the long service or severance obligations that they, the employers, have towards the employees. So this, is, this has been described uh, by you know, a, a commentator as the employees using their own money to sack themselves. This offset mechanism has been heavily criticised because it seems to undermine the very essence of the pension as a safety net. It is finally changing and it should come into effect in 2025. But I'm bringing this up. Why? Because I want to encourage all of us here, the Church of Christ, to be reflective about the marketplace through the lens of the cross. Thus, the death of Jesus on the cross have something to say to something like this. See, here's the thing. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's cruciform. Just because something abides by industry standards doesn't mean it's aligned with God's intention for society. Do you get me? And as followers of Jesus, we need to be able to see, and not just see, we need to be able to perceive the world through a cross-shaped lens. Why? Because something happened, something decisive happened when Jesus died on the cross. And you and I, 
the Church of Christ have been tasked with the mission of mediating or implementing what was accomplished on Calvary 2,000 years ago. And if we can't see how the cross is even relevant to the marketplace, how are we going to speak into the brokenness of the marketplace? I'll say more about that in a bit. For now, let us turn to Scripture. I'll be reading four passages, starting from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created by him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven." The second passage, a short one, just one verse, Colossians 2.15. Disarming the rulers and authorities, he has made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And the third passage, 2 Corinthians 5.18-19. And all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has given us the message of reconciliation. And the last passage, very well-known passage from Ephesians 6. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the, the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Let us pray. God, we come to you um, on our knees in humility because we are in awe of who you are. We are in awe of your great love and your great power. We are thankful that you love us so much that you, you have not left us alone to decay, but you have come to save us. So we thank you. And we thank you that you, you have included us in everything that you're doing in this world. Um, and so we pray, God, as we as we ponder, as we receive uh, from you today, help us to know um, how we can be in that space even more, that is to be part of your ministry of reconciliation. In your precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so what happened at the cross was that the powers and principalities were defeated once and for all. And this includes powers and principalities in the marketplace. But what are these powers and principalities in the first place, you might be wondering. 
I had an encounter very early on in life, and some of you have heard my story. Um, so I was dedicated to the goddess of mercy, Gunyam Guanyin, when I was a baby. And I experienced profound spiritual oppression, demonic attacks, and, and came face to face with the power of darkness in some very real ways. But one day, at a youth camp that I was invited to when I was 13, I was wonderfully delivered by the even more excellent, more profound love of Jesus and his mightier Holy Spirit. And so for some of you, powers and principalities have to do with that kind of cosmic clash between the spirits. But you know what? Powers and principalities can also present as structures and systems and ideologies. You know, when the Apostle Paul uses language such as this, powers and principalities, rulers, authorities and forces, it covers a full gamut of things ranging from the invisible demonic forces to visible structures like economic systems, political systems, organizations and institutions and so on. But what's important to know, though, is that these things, this kind, these things, this kind of power and principalities are not bad things in themselves. They've been ordained by God and are meant to serve God's good purposes in the world. That's why we read here, um, for all things in heaven and on earth were created by him. Whether principalities or powers all things were created through him and for him. And that's why Paul in Romans chapter 13 urges us to obey governing authorities, saying that authorities that exist have been instituted by God. But creation rebelled against God. Individual sin leads to systemic evil. And this system and power structures began to take on a life of their own demanding to be served instead of being of service. They want to be masters instead of servants. And they want people to believe that devotion to them is the ultimate goal of life, that happiness, true meaning in life can be found in them. So one example is an economic system that rewards greed, you know, that promotes consumerism and individualism that lifts up profit maximization as the ultimate goal and promises that money will make everyone happy and content. And so without realizing it, people begin to serve the system and sacrifice to the system. They become enslaved to the powers and the principalities. See, people serve the system instead of the system serving people. But the thing is, you know, these kind of powers and principalities, they are not easy to recognize. You know why? They don't look like this. And they don't look like this. And yet, it commands our loyalty, our service, our lives. And our sacrifice except that we don't sacrifice a roast pig. We sacrifice people. You might be thinking, but we don't kill people. What do you mean by that? Well, there are other ways to sacrifice people. And the first step 
towards sacrificing people is to dehumanize people. I was reading an article and a military general was asked, how do you train or condition people to kill other people? And his answer, we don't. We teach them to take out targets. So when people become targets, I guess they seem, you know, somewhat less human. And maybe that makes, them, make it, makes it easier for, for, I don't know, for you to take them out. See, I think there's a difference between saying, okay, now those two targets, take them out. And, and saying, now, you see those two God's image bearers, kill them. See the power of language. During the Holocaust, the Jews were described as subhuman. And slave owners um, throughout history considered slaves as animals or cargoes, human cargoes. See, for us in the system, um, we may also unintentionally dehumanize. How? When we use terms like human resource. I do that. Most of us here probably do that. It's what we've been conditioned to do. It's just how the world works. But you see, when we see people as a resource, we begin to see them more as something to be used rather than as a someone who bears God's image. It becomes a means to an end. Not even she or he. It becomes a means to an end. Something to be used to serve the system. Maybe, you know, just maybe um, some of us here, we've been conditioned to see ourselves that way too. You know, we often talk about not wanting to be defined by our work, right? Um, that our identity is in Christ. But I think we have also been conditioned by the system to believe that I am how useful I am. That our identity is tied to how useful I am. The messaging is very subtle, but there is a difference between seeing someone as a human being and a human resource or human capital or a headcount or a function. See, there's something very insidiously powerful when we dehumanize. When any groups of human beings, the crown of God's creation, are allowed to be thought of as mere numbers or targets or Productive digits, we use that in Singapore. Um, Headcounts, um, departments, or market goals. When human beings become mere human resources or goods or commodities rather than the reflections of the living God, it becomes very easy to treat them in less than honorable ways. In fact, it's often the beginning of abuse and exploitation. In an address by Pope Francis, he appeals to people, quote, unquote, not to yield to an economic model which is idolatrous, which needs to sacrifice human lives on the altar of money and profit. He's referring to the altar of unbridled capitalism. And these words are especially significant to, to us Christ followers why? Because we don't have to yield. 
because the powers and principalities that destroy and deceive have already been defeated at the cross. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has triumphed over them. He has staked his claim over the marketplace. He has won over evil, over greed, over individualism, over consumerism, over materialism, over arrogance, over abuse of power, of profit maximization at all costs. The forces that create recession and conflict and homelessness have been disarmed. Jesus is Lord and they are not, no longer. And new life begins when we, we implement or put into practice what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection. New creation. And that's not to say that there is no more resistance from the powers and principalities. I mean, we read in Ephesians 6 just now, we are at war. See, though defeated, they are still at work in the world. They use all sorts of means and tactics. They use structures and systems, economic powers, political powers. They use deception. They use accusation. They use all of that to resist. And God could just wipe them out like that, right? Like, I don't know, just zip, and they're gone. But he did not do that. He also did not say, okay, the victory is claimed, is won. Now overturn these powers and structures with violence. Or implement the victory of the cross by force. Instead, he calls the people who bear his name, people sitting here and online, um, the Christians, into a ministry of reconciliation. That wherever they are, whichever corner of the marketplace that they've been scattered into, they are to be gospel bringers, good news bringers, to tell the world, one square inch at a time, the good news that Jesus is Lord and the powers and principalities are not. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This means not only through the church gathered here every Sunday, like what we are doing now, but also through the church scattered in the, into the different parts of the marketplace. Through each of us in the spaces that we've been called to serve and to work and, or, or just to spend time in. Now, is it easy? No. But we do this knowing that the victory has already been secured. And we learn, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, to stand and be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Paul is referring to the resurrection power here, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that is also in you the Holy Spirit that is in you. And we are called to go out there in the power of the Holy Spirit and tell the world that Jesus is Lord and the principalities and powers are not. How? The first thing we can do and all of us can do that. You don't have to be in some special position. 
in some committee or you don't have to high up in the hierarchy somewhere to do this. It is to begin to see people as God's image bearers. To treat them as people and not tools. It is to see people as who and not what. Think of the people that you are they interact with every day in the marketplace. Do you first see them as a someone or as a function or as a role they play? And then we can also learn to discern the powers and principalities in your vocational field. We ask God to help us there to be able to see and discern. And then we ask, does this structure, this policy, this practice, this institution truly line up with God's intention for life? Some of us here are in a better position to shape policies and to speak into practices, and some of us are not. But we all can play our small part. And then this last one here, I, I, I put here, to engage in prayer of intercession. So as I was, I was sharing with the first service, um, people have asked me, but Brenda, Pastor Brenda, you're always saying that, you know, we have to pray, you know, but I want, want something practical, you know, and, and I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. And I'll tell you why prayer means so much to me. You know, I share with you my experience just now of being delivered from the grasp of the evil one. Of course, much later, as I got older, then I realized that there were people who knew what was going on, and they were behind the scene praying for me without even... I had no idea, but they were praying for me. You know, there is power in prayer. There is power in prayer, and that's why I keep saying, pray, we pray. And I think sometimes I want to say that, I want to call this the lost art of prayer of intercession, because I, I think it's not popular anymore, but I wonder, it's just a wondering, what would it be like if, you know, if we just gather and pray constantly for something to change um, in the structure of Hong Kong, let's say, what would that be like? You know, the Jesus, with his holy, mighty, Holy Spirit, that rescued me from the enslavement of the powers and principalities of an idol can do the same and rescue people out from the powers and principalities of the marketplace. This is why I'm so passionate about that. In a moment, um, in a moment, we're going to spend a few minutes um, to reflect um, and also to invite God to speak um, into our hearts um, whether um, any of this, um, you know, um, is lifted up um, by the Holy Spirit to you, whether we want to pray over some of this. But also, I want to have a time where... Um, so some of us, I think, have been wounded um, by dehumanized policies and practices at work. And 
that it may be a good time to invite the Holy Spirit in to do some healing in our hearts. Let us pray. God, we thank you that we do not do this alone. We thank you that we are actually doing this from a position of victory, that we, the church, are seated with you in the thrones of heaven. And that we, when you send us out to put into practice, to implement what you have achieved in your death and resurrection, it is not on our own strength that we do that. You have given us the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that makes the resurrection possible. You have given us you. And so I pray that as we take a few minutes with you now, each of us, that um, you will reveal more of your heart's desire to each of us in our own context. You know our context. We are all different, but we want to hear from you. We want to encounter you. Some of us here need a word of challenge. Some of us here need a word of encouragement. Some of us here need a touch of healing. Whatever it is, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.